Okay, well, we welcome you back to another um, inexplicably exuberant episode <laughs> of V8 Radio. <laughs> inexplicably exuberant. I think we've got a couple of milestones here because this is the first time that uh, you presented the uh, right the the uh, insanely overselling adjective at the beginning of the show but not only that this was a two-word one so a two-parter <laughs> yeah, yes sir new territory for us so if you're listening today man it's only downhill from there <laughs> have we evolved or devolved uh, i don't know are we men we are devo right. in, in, inexplicably exuberant episode of va radio uh, <laughs> i'm your host kevin Osti, joined as always by our co-host mr mike cuball clark What's that happening, my man? Man, there is so much happening, it's hard to even know where to start. Right on. Well, this should be a content-filled episode, then. Yes. Well, inexplicably, I'm exuberant. <laughs> <laughs> well, right on. <laughs> uh, today, uh, uh, on my end anyway, the episode is coming to you right from the uh, V8 Speed and Resto Shop Mechanic Center headquarters, actually out in the shop. Uh, sometimes, sometimes I record these uh, from the the home garage, or maybe we're on the road somewhere. We've been in, you know, Milwaukee at the car craft show, whatnot. And then, of course, Q Ball Studios, <laughs> Q Tone Studios <laughs> on your end, <laughs> the Q Tone Studios North. That's right, right. But uh, today I'm actually sitting in the shop amongst a whole bunch of cars, which is cool. I figured it might be. Uh, a, a little different source of inspiration just to be able to stare out at a bunch of muscle cars that are in process. So. Right on. Yeah. I'm all for that. And uh, before we get too deep into this quandary, uh, the trivia question. You uh, you got something this week? A good one? I, I got a decent one this week. So And it's not uh, Pontiac trivia, so oh, you're well, in the clear on that one. Oh, that doesn't mean I'm in the clear. Well, yeah. Well, we'll see. All right. Here we go. All right. In 1970, what full-size car did the Hearst Corporation give the Hearst treatment to? 1970, full-size. <clears throat> 1970, full-size. So the Hearst Corporation, as we know, worked with a, a variety of different auto manufacturers. Probably most well-known was the Hearst Oldsmobile. Yes. Um, but in 1970... Especially on a full size, that's kind of a two part trickery right there again. You're full of these two part deals today. Well, uh, that's uh, how I roll today, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hearst didn't do very many full size cars. Uh, and of course, the Hearst treatment was colors and some luxury items and performance. Uh, but that, I believe, was a Chrysler product. Was w- it? Was it a Chrysler 300, 1970? I seem to make. We'll find out at the end of the show, Kevin. <laughs> I sure hope so, because uh, I <laughs> he throws the pen again. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me! This uh, you're like Encyclopedia Brown for crying out loud. <laughs> no, you just you just uh, I'm gonna take that as a nod. I might be headed in the right direction on that question. <laughs> uh, no, I think I just get lucky enough that you happen to ask things that I might know something about. Yeah, it just uh, happens to be that you pretty much know everything. I don't think thing. that's the case, but those are that those are cool cars. And uh, if I'm right, mm-hmm. we will discuss that more later. 
Okay, fair enough. And if if you're right. If I'm wrong, I want to hear about what it was. Yeah, you got it, buddy. All right, well, I, speaking, I the answer here. Speaking, uh, <laughs> speaking of Mopar trivia, that's exactly what my question is, too, by the way. Mm. And uh, right on. this one kind of came to me in the shower this morning, and I don't really have a connection of why. <laughs> <laughs> Inspiration strikes in the strangest of places. Well, I've learned that the shower is a good place to get inspired. And the reason why I think that is the, the water rushing over you is uh, triggering uh, sensory organs all over your body, your skin and everything else, and you're standing mm-hmm. up and the heart's beating and you're breathing and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So I think that's kind of a, a, an engine for, for ideas. Why I thought all of right. this one, I don't know. But um, you ready? Here we go. I'm ready. <clears throat> Between 1962 and I believe 1980, uh, the, the Dodge emblem was uh, a three-pointed arrowhead-style emblem. It was kind of a triangle thing, and it had three little pointies that went off in each direction. Almost like All little right. Pontiac arrowheads. But, uh, All right. So this was before the Pentastar. Um, and that little emblem appeared on everything from hood ornaments to hubcaps and steering wheels. It was all over the cars. What was it called? <laughs> and I noticed by the blank stare, just trying to recall the emblem. <laughs> I, that's when I knew I had him. <laughs> All right. Um, and this is definitely what was it called? I think it's one the, of those you know it or you don't kind of uh, mm-hmm. things. But you're welcome to think of what. Yeah, I'm welcome yeah, to give it a shot cool. in the dark. Um, they ran a long time. So I think 62 to, I believe, 1980. Wow. Um, the Trident Star. Uh, God dang it. That would have been a very, very suitable name. So, mm-hmm. Trident Yet, Star. No, no, no. Trident I, Star. I'm, I'm going to write that down. Yeah. Kevin gives away nothing until the reveal. Well, I have to... Uh, Unlike I, me. If I don't write this down, it'll be gone forever. Mm-hmm. Star. Okay. All right. Well, we will refer uh, back to that and uh, see if you are, in fact, correct. All righty, then. Yeah. So, um, as we record this one, we are, uh, again, in... Uh, towards the end of May, uh, and the spring event season is in is in rock and roll mode right now. And in fact, as right. we speak, the Mika muscle car auction is happening in, uh, in Indy. Yes, it is. Uh, this is the first year in several that I have actually not gone to that event. Yeah, I'm surprised to know that. I mean, you typically, that's your gig, man. That is a good gig. It's a, it's a fun event, and you, you call it a gig. It's interesting because it, I've been lucky enough to ha- where that has been a gig for me uh-huh. in the past. Last year... Uh, I was there covering the event for the Hemmings publications, so I, I wrote the auction report for Hemmings Motor News and for Hemmings Muscle Machines. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, and shot, uh, I don't know, five or six hundred photographs and wrote descriptions on about a hundred cars. Holy cow. Well, it was kind of funny how it went down, uh, because I'm fortunate enough to have in my previous life worked with uh, Terry McGeehan, who's the, I guess, the executive editor over there at Hemmings. He He's kind of the editorial guy over a bunch of their magazines. Mm-hmm. And we were on the phone one night just kind of BSing. And he's like, are you going to Indy? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you want to write 
some of the auction description stuff for our magazines. And I said, sure, you know, that's no big deal. Not thinking that, you know, he was serious. (laughs) (laughs) And that this was a serious deal. This wasn't like, yeah, hey, I went to the auction. Here's me and a, you know, a picture of a Rolls Royce or something. Right. Um, So they wanted some specific stuff and, uh, but it was all good. It it gives you a chance to kind of get up close and personal to the cars and, and grab some good, not necessarily good photos, meaning like, poster size you know art quality photos but right some good detail shots which allows you to take some time and look at the cars sure instead of just kind of walking yeah. up and down the aisles so it was fun to uh fun to do that and and this year you know the trick there is while you're there for all the rest of you who are aspiring auction report writers <laughs> here's the trick <laughs> here's a here's a what's what and what to do yeah, here's how to do it and, and i will say this you know, maybe this is a good piece of information for anybody who's going to be um, shooting pictures or, or even just attending different events. What I tried to do was get an overall shot of the car and then run up and get a picture of the auction number on the card, on the dash. Oh, right, right on. And the nice thing that the Meekum auction does, and, and Barrett and all the big ones, uh, after the event, you can look up that auction number and see what it went for. And then they usually have all the details about what it was. Right. So they, luckily they entrusted me to pick some cars um, that I thought were not necessarily the over-the-top, super cool stuff, but interesting cars and things that uh, might throw people a curveball on, on, you know, what they might have sold for. And it wasn't necessarily all about what the value of the cars were. Um, you know, it wasn't a piece about, Hey, this Chevelle broke a record, but it was more like, can you believe this, uh, 67, um, Pontiac sold with 20,000 miles on it sold for 14, you know, just kind of uh, an interesting survey of cool stuff. Sure. Sure. It was a fun thing to do. That is, that sounds really cool. I mean, it sounds like a lot of work, but you know, pretty gratifying work. Uh, yeah, I, I think when it was all said and done, I had six or seven pages in Hemmings uh, Motor News. No kidding. Uh, which Look was at you, big a de- time. A decent, well, I mean, not, not to say that it was big time, but it was a lot of a lot of stuff. You know, I think yeah. there's 30 or 40 cars in that one or something. 30? Oh, know. yeah. Well, you got to sure have a lot to pick from out of the hundreds of cars that go across the block at any one given auction. Well, that, yeah, that one in particular, there's several thousand cars, and mm-hmm. again... It just shows you the, the, the various dimensions of going to one of those events because most people, you think of an auto auction, you're thinking you envision the auction block and you envision the guy up there yelling and you know banging the gavel. Mm-hmm. And in the reality, I'm not a buyer or a seller. I don't roll with those guys. I don't you know necessarily have the expendable income to be buying right. truckloads of cars, <clears throat> especially ones that I'm not that familiar with because I just saw them there you know, that day or... Or, right. or read about them. Um, but the other elements of going to one of those auctions is it's a car show that is spanned out over the, in, in, in the case of the indie auction, all across the Indiana State Fairgrounds, there's buildings jammed with awesome cars. Uh-huh. So even if you're not going to go buy and sell, uh, I highly recommend going. With, with my wife, Jenny, we went to, uh, I scored some tickets to the Meekum auction in, in uh, Chicago, and uh, we decided, let's just go check it out. And we did. And you're, and you're absolutely right. It is one heck of a great car show. And the, and the thing I really like about it is that there's 
there's no one particular theme. You get a mix of everything under the sun, things you've never seen before, things you've grown up with from your childhood. Just the whole gamut is represented pretty much at, at, at any one of those big-time auctions. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, and you don't have to be a buyer or a seller just to really enjoy yourself and have a great time. Right, totally. And uh, well, and of course, you had that story about being in the in the car club that was a pusher that one time, right? That's right. Yeah, the Cruising Tigers GTO Club. We were we were asked to uh, assist in pushing the cars across the block, and and at one of our meetings, they asked for volunteers, and of course, I'm like, absolutely, I want to do that. You know, get your physically get your hands on all these cars, pushing them across the block and looking at them. And you can see them up close and personal, and you can see the build quality, and you can really see things on these cars you can't see from watching it on TV or live streaming it or, whatever, or however you look at it. And, um, and and you see the prices these go for, and you're like, this thing's not that great of a car. Why, why did this go for this kind of money? Or this or this car is unbelievable. I can't believe it, it someone stole it for for the for the, for the money they paid for it. Yeah. Um and you really see everything going on there. It's really cool. And you see the inner workings of how the auction is set up and how it works and you know you're going you know quote backstage and and you see like the man behind the curtain and you see Dana Meekum running around and doing his thing and all the all the support staff that get the cars through and and you listen for cues on when to start pushing the car through and it's really kind of cool to see how all that works and that's what really turned me on about that about doing that is you know really learning more about that the the operation oh it's an unbelievable operation and the one year uh, at the Muscle Car Corvette Nationals, I was lucky enough to interview John Craman, who does a lot of the television commentary for Mika. Right. Yeah. Craman's uh, awesome. He's a. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think we identified pretty well because he's another Midwest guy and, and a car sure. guy and, and really gets it. And, and some of these auction commentators, um, you know, they have different approaches for different auctions. And I know, like at, at Barrett Jackson, uh, usually it's a four-person team, and um, again, Steve Mignante is another guy that I used to work with, and and he and I go way back, and he's kind of the muscle car guy, and they'll have yeah. the other guy. One might be a sports car guy, one might be a classic guy, and you know, a, um, an exotic guy, whatever. Meekum is a little different because they, especially at Indy, they are primarily muscle car focused. You know, you're not mm-hmm. seeing the 1930s Rolls Royces and stuff there. Um, but Craman was telling me that. I think at, at Indy and some of the other big ones, there's like 300 and some people that run that auction. Wow. Yeah. And it's uh, everything from the from Dana Meekum himself on down to guys like you who are local car clubs that they bring in, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to do some of the legwork. So to, to, to me, it blows my mind, um, the management behind that stuff. And, and I only know... You know, I've been involved with a bunch of events. I, I actually help run a small local uh, youth fundraiser car show in our town where we live. And there might, you know, last year I think we had, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe close to 200 cars, somewhere around there, 180 cars, something like that, on a one-day thing. To manage thousands of cars that come in from all over the world that not only are there on display, but also have a purchase and title transfer and finance component right. and promotion and then get them all to move <laughs> in front of right. a bunch of cameras yeah. on, on a schedule and then hype them up and talk about them uh, and televise that it's it's insane 
Right, you're doing that from Tuesday through Sunday. Uh, every day, everything has to be smooth. Plus, you're doing that at least once a month for crying out loud. You're year round. You're you're putting these this huge show on, and it runs. It seems to run like a top. I mean, just based on what I saw. I mean, everything. Everybody knows what they're doing. They're they're in their place. They do their thing. Yeah. And it, they, he has it really dialed in. I mean, he better have it dialed in at this point. He's been doing it for so long. So. I mean, it's great. I mean, Dana Meekum starting it, it how he did and growing it to where it is and being able to, you know, evolve with it and grow it and, and get all these components working together is just n- nothing short of astounding. Yeah, right. All this keeps coming together. And and people um, people obviously love to see the the uh, the drama and, and we always play the game of guess what the car is going to bid, you know, and... and uh, mm-hmm. Typically here in our shop and at the lunch hour, we'll have a screen going and the guys, you know, the crew will be watching and everybody's kind of guessing on what the car is going to go for. Oh, and, right on. Yeah. And, and we had a an ancillary selling experience a few years ago with the 69 Firebird that we that we built, uh, the Rowdy mm-hmm. car. Mm-hmm. And, and Steve Prouty, the owner of that one, when he came to us um, to build that car, he, he had a few goals in mind about what he wanted to do. Um, he said he always wanted a nice car and his bucket list was like, he wanted, uh, uh, a car on a cover of a magazine. He wanted, uh, a SEMA car. He wanted something that <laughs> would be on display at the Pontiac Trans Am Nationals. Cause that's his favorite car. Uh, he, he had learned about the muscle car and Corbett Nationals wanted to be on display there. And then he wanted mm-hmm. to do an auction, you know? And the cool thing was we made all of those happen with that car. <laughs> <laughs> right on. That's outstanding. Yeah. I, I saw that. I saw that car at the Muscle Car and Corvette Nationals. That's where I saw it in person. That's where I met Steve and, and where I met you. Uh, I think for the first time. Yeah. Um, that that was a nice car. It was, it was a nice really, car. really pretty car. I really liked it a lot. Yes. Uh, and that car just had, you know, everything about that thing. Uh, it wasn't. I'm not. I'm not saying it couldn't have been better. You know, but but all the choices that were made on that car were in the right direction. So it had the right look. It had uh, a great fit and finish. It had a, a quality assembly. It had uh, strong parts, and it was bright red, and it had a good wheel. So from the and it had a great owner. You know, uh, Steve, the, the the customer, the guy that owned the car was was fun to work with, and understanding, and an enthusiast, and loved the car. And again, it was it was fun for us to have not only the opportunity to build the car, but to be able to make all of his bucket list things come true and some of those we had nothing to do with i mean i had nothing to do with the pontiac trans am nationals he brought Mm -hmm. it there they loved it high performance pontiac magazine saw it there and shot it they chose to put it on the cover you know i I don't control that stuff but what we were able to control was building a good car and then that stuff happened exactly i mean it all starts with the build for for pete's sake i mean that's where if it if the build was junk then None of that happens. Right, yeah. And, and uh, Ben Hermance did the rendering of the car, and, and uh, it was a great concept of kind of using a little bit of the GTO Judge DNA stripe on the, on the Firebird, a little Pontiac cross-pollination. It was still Pontiac-powered, mm-hmm. so we didn't offend everybody right. by putting an LS motor in it, you know, and ruining the car, <laughs> as they would say. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but when it came time to, to go to the auction, you know, people were like, well, you got this car now. It's such a great car, and why do you want to sell it? And, and he was saying that part of his whole plan was he wanted to do that auction experience. And a thing that happens a lot of times when, when people build 
high-end cars and they get finished, you know, there's a fear factor involved with actually driving the car because it's like, oh man, I wrote a lot of checks to make this thing come true. I don't want to, I don't even want to scratch it. I don't want to see bugs on it. Uh, and, and in the worst case, I don't want to wreck the thing. And, and, and Steve's a guy who likes to drive his cars and he, he had another Firebird that um, was, was more of a car than Rowdy was from an engine standpoint and a um, manual shift and something he could beat on. So uh, he, he drove it around a while and he said, you know, let's just see what it does. So it ended up going through the auction. It, it, it didn't sell at that event. He actually sold the car and it lives in Australia today, believe it or not. Uh, Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, it went, over the, it went overseas, which is cool. And, and I've communicated with the, the current owner and Oh, right on. And he watched the, it was kind of fun because he watched that that car being built on our videos on YouTube and online and knew it and you know knew yeah. the car very well and the chance came up to buy it after the auction. And I think that day it went to fifty five or sixty thousand at Meekum. And uh-huh. I'm not gonna you know, we, we don't really discuss what customers have into the cars. Right. Um right. but for a sixty nine Firebird that if you looked at the VIN and the trim tag was just a 350 car. I don't, it was not like a 69 Trans Am or something, right. you know, really special. Right. Uh-huh. Um, that did pretty well. It, that did do pretty well. I remember watching that going across the block. That's good money for that car. Uh, now, as far as in that context, I think it was a pretty good bid. Mm-hmm. If it was a Camaro, yeah. it would have been in 150. I mean, there was no doubt. It just, <laughs> yeah. It's just a different market. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, I, I, I'm convinced. Um, now, on the street, as far as what he had into it and, and the mm-hmm. quality and everything else, I don't know what he actually sold the car for. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I value it more than what it bid to at the auction. But that auction was, uh, boy, I don't know if you heard that, diesel trucks going by the shop out here. This is authentic. I here. did hear that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Real, it's a real deal Holyfield here. Real noise out there. Um, for what that car was worth, though, in the right circle, if it was presented to buyers who understand, you know, modified cars or pro-touring cars or rest-of-mod cars, they would see that, yeah, you know, you, you couldn't build it for that, and it was it had intrinsic value uh, differently than the the Meekum crowd and the Meekum crowd at that auction these guys in some ways they treat these cars as commodities because if you look at a car that you're going to buy if it doesn't have everything that matches the trim tag and the VIN and if those those items that it was born with aren't very desirable then it's not going to be a high dollar car you know if it's a, a re- like I said if it was a real you know, Ram Air 4, 69 Trans Am that you could verify right. on all the numbers, then bam, you know, Meekum, that's oh, the money. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But if it's a modified car that's done really, really nicely, those buyers can't look at it right away and assess the build quality and assess what's on it and, you mm-hmm. know, research the, the price of the parts and all that stuff. So those cars, in my opinion, don't do as well there. Uh, I think it might have done better at Barrett-Jackson because that's more of a custom and hot rod okay. and pro touring buyer. I got you. Than Meekum is. Um, but nevertheless, uh, Steve got to bring it through and it got its moment in the sun and uh, everybody was really digging the car there. And uh, yeah. it was it was pretty crazy. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it showed really well on TV too. It looked great. I, 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 was, I was glued to that auction waiting for that to come through. And uh, I think they did like... Uh, I think it might have even been like a feature car uh, 
on TV. Um, what am I trying to say? Like, I guess the bid maybe or something. They did. They did. They spent a couple of seconds on it mm. before it went across the block. If I, if I remember right. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even. I did not yeah. even know that. Yeah, I think so. But what you know? What uh, getting back to that uh, that buyer in Australia who who watched it being built. That's that is truly fairly unique thing to be able to do when you see a nice car like that i mean when you see it cold you don't really know what you're getting i mean it might have a nice paint job but you don't know if it's hiding you know a gallon of, of mud underneath it and right you don't know what's been what's been done to it seeing being able to watch that build on your site you see exactly what you're getting, and you know that those quarters are all metal, and you know what the hood is, and you know everything about the car, and it's fantastic. I mean, it's truly unique. To, it's almost like it's your car being built, and you can yeah. see how how it how it came together, and you know it's it's a good quality. Everything's going to fit right. There's really no surprises. It's it's. I mean, that's money in the bank right there. Well, and it's funny because when we first started doing this. Um we didn't consider all of the different directions that our photos and stories and video nonsense, you know, that it, that it would take on. And initially, uh, again, the, the idea was to just show some content about, you know, what we thought was maybe the right way to do things. And when I say the right way to do things, it's, you know, panel replacement using, ICAR certified standards and and things that are standard in the industry, not only from a um, you know from a collision shop standpoint as well as a custom standpoint. You know, because we were talking about this recently, and I think we've touched on this on on a VA radio episode before. There is no technical standard for a restoration shop, right? Uh, you know, the, yeah. the ASC certifies mechanics. Uh, IR, the ICAR uh, International Collision. Uh, and repair association, wherever the heck it is, they they certify body shops and technicians. Restoration shop, if you got a you got a garage and a and a welder, and you don't even need either one of those, you yeah. you could be a restoration shop. And and we see so many cars, um, to your point, that are hiding all kinds of stuff under the surface. That unless you know what's under the skin you know they can fool anybody and when mm -hmm. we started doing this we're taking the pictures to show people okay well this is how you replace a quarter panel by removing it at the factory seams and not just cutting it in the middle and overlapping it and and mig right. welding it and grinding it and pi piling a bunch of mud on it mm -hmm. and there's a time and place for for everything uh, i'm not trying to be on a high horse here but just by sure. showing the the details I think the rowdy photo album online was about 3,000 pictures when it was all said and done. Jeez, whiz. Uh, with absolutely nothing to hide. You know, everything is mm -hmm. shown in, in high res with yeah. lights. And, you know, so if there's a question, <laughs> you know, you can always go back and say, well, what happened here? Well, here's what we did, you know. And, and one mm -hmm. of the dimensions that that – it became a service, to be honest with you, to, to the customer. Now they can say, well, here's my build gallery – and if you really want to know what this car is all about, yeah, you can go back and look at it. And that's what this gentleman did um, in Australia. So when we're building cars for customers, um, we take the photos to keep them up to date uh, as we're building it. We shoot the, the video and the television stuff as, you know, entertainment for the viewers um, and also as kind of a nice memento for the, for the owner of the car as well. But then, yeah, if they ever do ch choose to sell a car, 
And to be honest with you, we have not had many customers sell their cars that we have restored for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I know of, I think the Rowdy car is maybe the only one. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. That, and that was, his, that was his plan too. So Right. Yeah, yeah. And so there you go. And that... There's a there's been a lot of cars that we've worked on that we didn't do the full build that have sold I imagine you know but when sure. it, when it comes to things that you know we sat down with the customer on day one and planned their dream car out they've all kept them you know which is pretty cool <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. but again today as I'm sitting here in the shop uh, we have a car that a customer bought at an auction a couple of months ago it's a '55 Chevy and right at first glance yeah it looks killer and he. He got to noticing that some of the wiring didn't seem right, so he brought it to us, and uh, we put it on the rack, and we did our our 10-page inspection on this thing, and yeah, unfortunately, this is one of those cars that's that's hiding a whole bunch of stuff, and you know, you hate to, I'm not here to break the guy's heart and, and point out the flaws, but what we do try to accomplish is let them know what they have, and then say... These things might require some safety attention, and mm-hmm. and these other items here, you know, if you want to make this car really nice, then you want to, you know, touch these. Yeah. Um, but in this case, I don't I don't know what he paid for the car, mm-hmm. but it looks great, which is good. And yeah. the fact that he bought it at an auction tells me that even as it sits, it still has a lot of value. It's not like he bought it from some guy on the street and it turned out to be made of paper mache or something. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Yeah. (laughs) This one just had an interesting thing where you'd, uh, I don't remember what the exact wiring disaster was, um, but I know as we had to move the car around, we had to physically go under the hood and and detach uh, a battery lead for it to shut off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh wow Ugh, so something was backfeeding through the ignition switch and something is amiss here <clears throat> right so it's getting a whole new wiring oh, wow. harness and uh and this 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 guy unfortunately didn't have the ability to go and crawl under the car so oh, the f- look at it beforehand yeah so you know the description I, I don't know what the description said but it might have said yeah it's got all new floors well it does have new floor pans that are just basically laid over the Stock ones uh, and sheet metal screwed and, and roofing tar. Really? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, no. Come on, people. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's disappointing. Well, it is disappointing. But again, there is a time and place for everything. And if you're a person who doesn't have the resources and you don't want your foot going through the floor, you know, that's what you do. And we've all been there. Uh, we have been there. I, I, I had a, a 74 Beetle. That uh, had a pretty rusty floor right in the in the where the firewall on the floor meets was a, a nice big hole. And a buddy of mine was a mechanic. I was in the Air Force at the time. He said, "Oh, all we got to do is get some flashing metal and some tar, and we'll fix that right up." And and that's pretty much what we did. We uh, drilled through. We we hammered it in place and drilled through it and and put pop rivets to hold it in place. And tar was backing it up so it sealed it up, and it was okay. Right, <laughs> you know, and like. <laughs> When I was a kid, we used to use uh, uh, street signs and road signs. No, right uh, on. <laughs> because you never saw a rusty road sign. So no. you know, if you made a, a floor patch out of that, it was good forever, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was some aluminum alloy or whatever. And it was the same deal. We would uh, uh, drill holes and pop rivet it and stick it in because none of us had welders. We're high school kids at the time. And, 
and right. you can't weld aluminum yeah. to steel anyway. Um, but so I'm not passing judgment on that stuff. But what bothers me is that when somebody is representing a car as being done right and it has that stuff, then there's a problem. I mean, it's one thing if you say, hey, listen, I had to ham and egg this thing together, and, but the new floor is over the old floor, but it is solid, but I just, right, you know, full disclosure. I mean, obviously, there's, it's not like buying a house where, where you're legally required to get yeah, full disclosure. Right. You know, when you're selling a car, you no. don't have to, but it's it's nice to do. It's it just it, it's just better for everybody that somebody knows what they're getting. And if they're not a buyer, then, you know, they're right. not a and, buyer. And you price it accordingly as well. You know, you don't try to get a million exactly. bucks for a, a car that's got the floor laid over a floor. And because we've been talking about mm-hmm. Rowdy, uh, one of our, our very first videos on that car, we, sh- we had it media blasted and it's up on the rotisserie. And I think I did about a 10-minute video walking underneath that car and pointing out the floors that were overlaid over the floors because <laughs> it had them. Um, oh, and, boy. And Steve bought that car cheap, which was good for him. Um uh-huh. relatively, I guess. And I remember calling him and I said, Hey, uh, so you've got this situation where the original floors are kind of cut out and the new ones are laid over. And, and the guy who did this one, interestingly enough, was all about the structure. So his were welded on both sides. So for example, if you have the new floor has about a, in his case had about an inch, it was about an inch bigger than the hole. So if you, you look down from the top, okay. the new patch is bigger than the hole of the floor. He welded the perimeter of sure. the patch, and then he went under the car and welded the inner perimeter of the floor to the patch. Oh, wow. Like from, from the hole right. to the so patch. So it had a double right, bead, you know, these two, two rings of weld around okay. this patch. So it was never going anywhere. And it was very well, strong. Was strong. I, I told Steve, I said, well, you know, what do you want us to do? Because uh, you're never going to fall out of this car. Technically, it's not... Uh-huh. It's not that pretty, and it's not really correct, mm-hmm. but it works, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you want to build a nice car, and, and we're going to show people a nice car, and we want to show people kind of what how we would do this, so, you know, what do you think? And we went around and had many discussions about it, because he's like, well, what's it going to cost me to get me right back to where I am now? It's just going to look nicer, essentially. You know, from a functioning standpoint, it, it mm-hmm. wouldn't be any different. Yeah. Um. Right. And eventually we cut yeah. those out and did some sections. We determined we didn't need to, to cut the entire floor out, and we butt-welded some sections and metal finished it and made it look like it never happened. And he was far happier with that at the end, you know. That's always one of my sure. my metrics is, okay, yeah. project yourself into the future, and this thing's all done. There's going to be something in the back of your mind where you say, boy, if I, I really wish we would have taken care of whatever you know, let's try to identify those now and get them while you can. That, it's funny you talk about that patch over the hole like that. I, I remember uh, when when I was a, a young a young airman um, in my first GTO club. I just got my first GTO. It was a '67, and I was in this club, um, uh, the Central Oklahoma GTO Club, <clears throat> and um, the C the C O G T O. See, <laughs> something like that. Central Oklahoma GTO Club. Yeah, it was a it was a uh, <clears throat> uh, a, a club that that was the national charter was GTOAA at the time. And um, there was a guy. He was showing pictures of uh, he was restoring his G- uh, GTO, and the floors were rusty. And at the time, I don't think floor pans were available to replace in those cars. So he had to 
patch it in. And you could see you could see the hole in the floor, and you could see the patch over it. And, and then, yeah, it was double beaded and double welded. And uh, that's kind of how you had to go about that. It was like in the late 80s, and, and I don't think there was a lot. I mean, you, I think you could still get some parts from GM, but floor pans were not one of them, and I don't think anybody no, and, offered them. And you got to remember, too, in the 80s, the only cars that were getting full, you know, Concorde level restorations were Ferraris and, and, you know, older European sports cars. Nobody was flipping Camaros upside down and scrutinizing them. And, uh, you know, and uh, of course in the eighties, you know, the car was, you know, 15 years old too. It wasn't like it was today. Mm -hmm. Um, but that Mm -hmm. the, the restoration, um, evolution, uh, didn't, command the need to do any of these levels of repairs that makes sense yeah i mean it was a, it was a well, huge yeah, car e- even point. a nice camaro it was like who cares about the floor you know because you didn't have magazines and right. tv shows you know flipping them upside down and and on that same note you know as i look back around what technology has done today you can you can buy a tig welder for a few hundred bucks and you can buy a plasma cutter and you can you can get tools that were unimaginable in the 80s and the other thing about you know not only the tools are available but people are getting the skills to do this stuff uh you know or maybe they think they do but that's one (laughs) of the things that that we try to do with some of our our video and television episodes is to show them you know so Mm -hmm. so i think it stands the reason that you know more cars are being restored to higher levels than they were in the past which is not to say we're at a shortage of hacks, you know, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, getting back to your point of, you know, are you going to buy or, or are you going to buy a plasma cutter for 600 or, or grand and use it once? I mean, if, if it's something that you needed, I mean, you can go to your local rental center and you can rent one for a few hours or for the day. And I, I did that once. I had this, uh, a friend of mine, well, an ex-friend of mine, he left his... Uh, uh, a Corrado we were parting out in my garage and it kind of abandoned it and abandoned us and the friendship and I had to find a way to get rid of this thing oops and I didn't have a title for it so no, I, rented a pla- I rented a plasma cutter and this guy wasn't returning my phone calls so I rented a plasma cutter and I cut it up in about six different chunks <laughs> and we took it to a to a junkyard and, and uh, got a couple bucks for it. So, really? So you uh, oh, sli- yeah. sliced and exactly. diced and recycled? I mean, I was going to just take it to his yard and throw it in his front yard. I was so mad at him. but uh, Well, that's kind of an uncool it, thing. It, it, it is an uncool thing to do, and I was really upset with him. And, and Jenny was getting on my case, like, when are you getting that Corrado out of the garage? I'm like, I don't know. The guy won't return my calls. And uh, Wow. So uh, we what, had what to do what I had to do. Life. Well, yeah. he was just that kind of guy, I found out later. It's kind of a... Kind of a shady character. Yeah, but yeah. So, rent renting those kind of tools is a is a good idea. Um, and you also hear of situations where you know four or five guys will pull together and and buy one, and you know it, it becomes like the team science project. I get to keep it at my house this week, and, <laughs> and then you get it next week. It's my week this week, man. <laughs> right. Right, so I think there's got to be a, a decent strategy there where everybody invests equally <laughs> and everybody understands that if something goes wrong on your watch, you're paying for it or whatever your arrangement is. Yeah, yeah, you have to have that 
down ironclad agreements. Yes, borrower nor lender be. So. <laughs> but I, I, I had a similar situation to that in California when I was working for Hot Rod. Um, at the time, I guess my expectations were, were not quite accurate about what I thought my access to, to the Hot Rod toys would have been. So oh. you always see magazine project cars coming together. And this could be a whole other episode, by the way. But um, the the hot rod shop they they had their own place, and they had some tools, and they had some cars that you know, the company might have owned, and and some of the magazine editors owned, and whatnot. And when I first started working there, I wasn't involved with uh, the magazine or the television show on an editorial standpoint. I was actually there; my foot in the door was through through advertising, so I really wasn't entitled to play with any of those toys anyway. Mm-hmm. So some of the other um, uh, ad guys and I pooled our resources and rented a shop. And, oh, right on. Um, we were all into cars and bikes and stuff. So we thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I took the bull by the horns and did the legwork of finding the place. Mm-hmm. And so the office was at uh, 6420 Wilshire Boulevard, which is um, kind of near... We were a couple of blocks out of Beverly Hills off Wilshire Boulevard mm-hmm. in in West Los Angeles. And to rent a place in that area would have been insane mm-hmm. uh, for money. Sounds so, right. So we had that consideration. The next consideration was that people lived in different places. And I think six or seven of us went in together on this building, or this shop anyway. And some guys lived north, and I lived in the South Bay by the beach, and everybody lived in different places. So... The only thing I could find that was affordable was in the city of Baldwin Park. And, and Baldwin Park was a solid, with no traffic, which was never, uh, but but <laughs> a solid 35, 40 minutes east of the office. So if you wanted to go work on your junk, you have to get off work and bear traffic and go, you know, inland a, a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but we ended up renting this place. And I think it was about a 2,000 square foot single room wooden wooden structure sliding door on the front shady area back of an industrial park there was a guy who lived in a 54 ford down the alley (laughs) 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 this guy literally i mean you could smell the the gin coming off this guy when you pulled up in front of this place and he lived in the car and would wake up in the middle of the night and play a bugle in the (laughs) 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 you'd hear some distorted butchered attempt at reveille at three in the morning you know, if you're out there. <laughs> and we befriended him to kind of look over the shop you know mm-hmm. fed his habit a little bit but i think the the rent was like 500 bucks a month it was 475 oh. or something so it was it was doable yeah and the the thing that we never discussed was how equally is this split mm. because the one guy had a uh, uh a gsxr motorcycle Mm-hmm. And another guy had like a uh, a jet ski, and I had three sixty three Cadillacs. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh my god, dude! <laughs> so we weren't really us- utilizing the space, you know, right? Equally, sure. Yeah. And uh, not only that, the level of projects. I mean, the one guy wanted to paint his motorcycle, so he did that, and he was out. He didn't need the shop anymore. And oh. Right. And here I was doing an engine swap on my 69 Buick and I was, you know, trying to do something with these Cadillacs and 
another guy had another Cadillac and, you know, we, so at the end of the day, I was paying 400 a month. Oh, wow. And everybody else walked away, you know, essentially. Oh, dang it. Because we didn't have a lease. And, and I, in the uh-huh. beginning, I thought, you know, we'll just do kind of a handshake agreement here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up boiling down to, I couldn't afford to do that. You know, I just couldn't. Yeah. And, and especially the time to get there and back. And it was a, uh, it was a tough lesson to learn. Um, yeah. I had to, I had to sell the caddies and, and, uh, and get rid mm. of them all. And that, that's a bummer. I was in over my head. I mean, the, the, the car I was trying to build was a 63 convertible. And then oh, there was, wow. there was two hard top parts cars. And I picked the whole mess up for like, I think $1,500 for all three cars. Wow. And two of them could have been roadworthy with about a month worth of work. The, ca- the convertible was a basket case. Oh, is that right? Um, but that was the cool car. And it was like, yeah. at the end of the day, I, I sold I sold two of the hard tops and the convertible because I, I had this landlord after me for the shop rent and everything. And I was behind and I, I, ha- I just uh. had to get rid of everything. I, uh, I rented a tow dolly. And I dragged this gutted convertible down the street to uh, to the scrapyard in the middle of the night, and I left the title on the dashboard and just parked it out in front of the scrapyard. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Believe it. I couldn't. I had. I. I was stuck. <laughs> oh no! Oh man! That stinks. I was on my own out there. It was before I met Kelly, and yeah. uh, I had no place to go and nowhere to, to store anything. I didn't know where. I mean, I'd lived out there for about a year and a half at that point, so I didn't really know that many people. And right. Oh yeah, it sucked. Oh, that does suck. Oh, brother. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. Well, again, it's a, a lesson learned, and now I know yeah. if you're going to split a plasma cutter with your buddies, make sure everybody yeah. gets it. <laughs> <laughs> make sure they can't weasel the way out of the agreement well because when things go wrong they went wrong to me you know everybody yeah. else was able to just oh sure no it's your problem now man so yeah but uh mm-hmm. i was always the guy that got stuck holding the bag ah brother that's that's rough yeah uh, yeah you know lesson learned so it right, is what right. it is but i did some good 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 work in that shop we once did a uh on my 69 I had a 69 Riviera tan car that I actually drove to California when I moved out there and it was consuming oil and it was leaking pretty bad and I, it needed a freshen up. Right. And, uh, that area Baldwin park was pretty cool in the sense that that is the home of the very first in and out burger restaurant. No kidding. Right down the street yeah. from where, for where we, we had our little shop. And some of the other cool things were there was a, a drive through, um convenience store they were called i think they were called altadinas where i've heard of altadina yeah they're they're a big dairy and they had these things and and, but they sold you know it was a convenience store so you could get chips a sandwich liquor cigarettes you know whatever you want (laughs) and it was open 24 hours so we used to call that the drink and drive (laughs) 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 <laughs> you buy whatever you want there so that was nice to have and then there was a um 24-hour auto parts store down the street no way yes oh, and a lot a of perfect people, shop location well these were these were benefits yeah and part of the reason why we chose that location and and here where where our shop is in the midwest outside of st louis you don't have you know 24-hour stuff you know, right. I grew up in the Chicago area. You had 24-hour restaurants, but you don't have 24-hour auto parts stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, Southern California, you got that kind of stuff. Um, 
So it was time to freshen up the engine on the Riv, and uh, I had bought some parts from TA Performance to do the uh, to re-ring it and a gasket kit, and you know I think uh-huh. I put a cam and lifters in it and some stuff. And we started that project on a Friday afternoon. Drove the car in Friday afternoon, and one of the guys I worked with and I did the work. And believe this, and you're going to hate me because you've been in machine shop jail with your GTO yeah. engine for a year About or a year so now. at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks for th- pouring that salt in the wound, buddy. <laughs> I pulled this. I pulled this engine out and stripped it down to the block and crank. Uh, probably by 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night, we threw it in the back of my buddy's car, drove to the all-night parts store, and said, unannounced, un, un pre-scheduled, and said, hey, guys, um, can you do me a, uh, a hone on this to clean up the cylinders and just check the block for me, and I'm going to pick it up tomorrow. And they did. <laughs> What? <laughs> Come on! I drove that car to work on Monday morning. Uh, we we did a thirty get out of here a thirty six hour day where we worked straight through all weekend and took yeah. a little cat nap in the car, uh, but got the whole got the block back, put all the uh, uh, re, uh, you know had to file all the rings and fit the rings and rebuilt the whole short block, put the heads back on, all new gaskets, cleaned everything up, got it back in the car and running, and drove it home Sunday night oh my and gosh. drove to work on Monday. In that wow. and, and part of the time we were serenaded by the guy playing the bugle out of his car in the oh, middle of the night man. just <laughs> fond memories yeah. oh man yeah. I mean, so that was pretty cool you know wow that's a great turnaround man oh. yes. uh stuff i wouldn't do again today because i don't i don't have to but when you have to mm. that was my only car yeah, you yeah. Know? so imagine oh, i've been know, there my friend <laughs> here's the brain trust that i am Oh, it's Friday. I'm going to drive 40 miles from home and tear the engine out of my only car, you know, and, and, and just assume that I can get this thing rebuilt over a weekend <laughs> so amazing. I can drive to work on Monday. Well, hello. <laughs> Imagine the delusions we have as, as young men. Yes. Like, yeah, I can do that. Absolutely. Right. Holy shnikes. You know, oh, I look brother. back at the... At, envision the look that my father used to give me when I would start these projects. <laughs> this This disgust shame uh anger uh disappointment <laughs> disbelief look on his face and he's you know he, he he wasn't there for that particular project but the, you know when i still lived at home in high school and in college mm-hmm. and i i can just envision this look where it's like he'll yeah. come out in the garage and i've got something all torn apart and he and he's thinking to himself how did I raise such a dummy? <laughs> so disappointment in himself, but then yeah. some a little bit of admiration for, well, you know, I'm glad you're trying it. I know mm-hmm. this isn't going to go well. Where yeah. do I step in and say you're an idiot? Or, you know, where do yeah. I draw the line and say, this is your project that you're into. you got to fix it. <laughs> yeah. The lo- he had a look of zero exuberance on his face, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. That's right. <laughs> And that was explainable. That was not inexplainable. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Not inexplicable. He uh, knew what uh, was yes. going. A, a justified look of zero exuberance. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, uh, now I try not to have that same look, but I'm sure I get it around here, you know. Uh, well, it's funny. I mean, looking back, um, 
at some of the hijinks that you'd pull as a young young guy, you can look at back at that and, and have that same look on your face now, just thinking back to them, like, what, what am I, what was I doing? My gosh. Yeah. I would never, I'd never do that now unless no. I, you know, absolutely had to. And then it would be 10 times harder because we're a lot older and not as flexible as we used to be. Well, and, uh, you know, again, if you don't have the need, uh, mm-hmm. the need is the motivator, you know, a hungry, yeah. or oh, yeah. a, you know, what do they say about the dog that doesn't hunt? You know, they're not hungry. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident that today, if I got stuck on an island and I had to rebuild the engine over the course of a weekend, I could certainly pull it off and probably do it better because sure. I know a little bit more than I did then. Mm-hmm. I'm just thankful that I don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while, I, when we, we used to have a Chevy Blazer, an old one Chevy Blazer S10 with a 4.3 liter. And uh, it was it was my wife's means of transportation. She That's how she got to work and back and uh, started uh, getting a lot of valve train noise in it. And um, mm-hmm. I realized, like, I got to get something done here. Mm-hmm. And it was Friday and I... I, I um, took the, it started Friday night, I took the intake off, and I realized I had a bunch of uh, collapsed lifters, and I'm like, well, here we go. Oh, yeah. And I ran, to, I ran to the auto parts store, and they had a full set, so I grabbed a full set of lifters, put it in, and I was working on that thing. When, when I don't know exactly which path I'm taking, when I'm taking something apart, I, I take an unbelievable slow, long amount of time to do it. Mm-hmm. I just work so slow, because I... I don't want to do anything wrong. So I'm kind of training myself on how this all this comes together. And I was working till like, you know, I started on a Friday and uh, at like 2, 1, 2.30 in the morning, Sunday morning, I finally got it done. And, uh, I mean, it took forever, but it, yeah. it ran great. And I was really happy that there were factory roller lifters. I didn't have to do any braking on them or worry oh, yeah, about wiping yeah, yeah, a cam yeah. about. Yeah. So that made me really happy. And I, found, and I found it unbelievable that factory roller lifters are probably a tenth of the cost or a fifth of the cost as aftermarket roller lifters, for crying out loud. I paid $100 for a full set of roller lifters for this yeah. thing. And you're going to pay about five, 600 for uh, a set of aftermarket roller lifters. Makes me crazy. Well, and it depends, too. You know, that engine... It's a factory roller. You know, if you're talking about a yeah. conversion, definitely. You yeah. Know, like if you're going to set your GTO yeah. up, it's a, a big difference. Yeah, it's um, going to be. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Well, and, mm-hmm. and we recently have gone through that, too, with, uh, uh, in fact, that 66 7 liter on, on the startup of that Ford that we restored, it had a lifter go f- uh, collapse on the break-in. And we oh, thought boy. the cam went down. We freaked out on that one. Yeah, and uh, Trevor pulled it apart. Trevor and Tyler here in the shop, and found that it was just a lifter went bad. And it's like, okay, well, the owner supplied this engine, and we don't know a whole lot about the the parts inside. And to your point, we could have bought, a, you know, a fancy high performance lifter from somebody, or we could have gotten a parts store one today for eight mm-hmm. bucks. Right. And uh, we ended up getting the eight dollar lifter. Uh, and it ran perfect and later found out that that's what the whole thing was anyway. It wasn't necessarily a, a, a super fancy, you know, 10,000 RPM oh, I see. N- nitrided, uh, you know, mm-hmm. performance lifter. And then Trevor and I were having the conversation the other day. What is a performance lifter uh. as opposed to a stock one? Because they do the same thing. 
You know, yeah. I know that some of them have an oil groove for higher RPM, right. and right. some are nitrided and, and surface prepared. So mm-hmm. I get that. But anyway, to your point, uh, it was nice that you were able to get that sucker back together. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mama was happy. So y- yeah, right. Mama's exactly. happy. I'm happy. Yeah, without a doubt. Mm. Well, um, so so touching back on the uh, on the trivia question, mm-hmm. your question to me was in 1970 the Hearst Corporation did their golden yellow magic or uh, golden white magic uh, on a full size car, and what was it? Yeah, 1970. It was a. Um Ding, ding, ding. Kevin's, Kevin is a winner again, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It was, in fact, the Chrysler 300 with 501 hardtops and two convertibles done. So, now, again, that would have been your trivia question, is how many? Because I did not know that there was only two convertibles. Yeah, well. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, one of those convertibles was at the McCacken Show. Was it? I think so. I'll have to look back at that. We'll have to, uh, when, when we have Bob Ashton on the show, we'll have to ask him. We will have to ask him because uh, I knew, I didn't realize there was only two of the ragtops. And again, when you go to that show, you could be looking at something that there's only one of and not really know it. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's a big car. Uh, white yeah. or you know pearl white with the gold stripes. And they had a mm-hmm. cool wing on the back too. It had a kind of a salami slicer. 69 Firebird know. style wing on the back. We're ahead of pass through underneath. Hmm. It's a neat deal. Right on. All right. So, my question to you was uh, from 62 to 1980, the Chrysler Corporation for the Dodge brand had a uh, an emblem that had a triple arrowhead design. Um, and, and what was the name of that particular emblem? And you said the Trident Star. Yeah. Yeah, Which, uh, might, as well, one, might as well call it Mike Clark's dumbass. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Trident Star is a good name. It, it's, yeah. it, it's got the tri for the three thing and the star mm-hmm. and all the mm-hmm. In reality, this was called the Frat Zog. The Frat Zog? <laughs> yes! <laughs> what the hell kind of showers are you taking, man? <laughs> <laughs> Once I said, I have no idea why this came to me in the shower. Fratzar, uh, who names it a Fratzar? Well, it's <laughs> while the designers were coming up with this new emblem design in '61 or whenever it was, uh, one of the engineers asked the designer, you know, while it's on the drawing board, he's like, "So what? Are we, you know, this is the new thing. You know, what's it called?" And he's like, "I, I don't know." And he's like, "Well, the project needs a name. We got to call it something." He's like, "I don't know. Call it a Fratzog. Who the hell knows?" And it stuck. Frat-zog. And to this day, it is officially known as the Fratzog. So, Dude, uh, you got to start coming up with better trivia questions. Throw me a freaking bone once uh, in a while right, here. Right, 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 right. <laughs> well, like I said, uh, I, that's one that I, if you knew it, you knew it. If not, not. Oh, yeah, uh, I did not. And I did not know it. I could oh, I could Lord. tell by the, the glazed look when I, uh, <laughs> I I even brought that up. You're like, oh man, what? <laughs> I didn't even realize that there was a three pointed star. I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't know much about much anyway. Anyway, but well, uh, it's uh, Mopar instead, especially. It was uh, it wasn't hyped. It wasn't like the bow tie or like the blue oval or like the pentastar thing that they did afterwards. That was you know obviously synonymous with them. So. 
Maybe maybe if they named it better, they would have hyped it. They would have loved it more. You know. Maybe maybe. If they would have called it the Trident Star, you'd probably have a T-shirt. <laughs> right now, <Yeah. laughs> I might. <laughs> Oh, uh, brother. Oh, dude. <laughs> All right. Well, next time, yeah, we'll throw you a bone. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm sure I'll miss that one, too, but whatever. It's good, good to aim high there. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. yeah. Mr. Air Force, aim yeah. high, buddy. Yeah. A- aim high, miss the target. There you go. <laughs> That's what a Marine friend of mine was always always tell me. Yeah, aim high, miss the target. Well, you know, yeah. if you're optimistic like my wife, you say, you, you know, you shoot for the moon. If you miss, you land amongst the stars. Oh, there you go. That right nice. on. Yeah, yeah. That is nice. Yes. That is nice. And on that, I think we'll have to wrap this one up because uh, it'll only go downhill from there. <laughs> Fair enough. So this is good. I appreciate the time. Um, you bet. Made a note about next week's or next next show's uh, uh, trivia question. We'll, we'll get you something a little more palatable. Yeah, appreciate that, buddy. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> and uh, if you want to uh, subscribe to this show, you can do it on iTunes, on Google Play, or the uh, TuneIn Radio app. And uh, if everybody has listened to this point, we'd like to welcome all of our Facebook friends and fans um, on the VA Radio Facebook page. Uh, we'll have some more stuff there, episodes, nonsense, maybe a behind-the-scenes note here and there. Um because that, that just launched, so that's one more thing to check out. Pretty cool. Right on. Good stuff. Yeah, it is good stuff. And uh, I guess we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> on V8 Radio. And we'll be inexplicably exuberant uh, to the next degree. <laughs> right on. Right on.